This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Well, Ray Fossey. Did you call me Raymond? No, I called you Ray. Before the before I called in, did I hear Raymond? I don't know. Did I? <laughs> I don't know. How are you, Tony? All right, I got a question for you. Well, first of all, let me tell you this. You've had a good show this morning. Matt Vascurgeon was all Matt Vascurgeon was great. Dave O'Brien's the best. Um, Martin Gallegos. I mean, Cody is the master of arranging guests for you. But I must say, like I've said before, he arranges the guests, and you take over from there. So it's a it's a nice uh, it's a nice team effort that you guys have. So congratulations, You're doing a great job. Well, Cody uh, went Reggie Jackson and said he's the straw that stirs the drink. <laughs> well, listen, he's got some big shoes to fill if he's going to say that. Because Reggie definitely was. And Reggie could back up everything that he said. Now, I'm sure Cody can do the same thing. However, I'm sure there are some people who say, who are you, Cody? They don't say that to Reggie. <laughs> yeah, Cody. Sorry, Cody. Have, Sorry, Cody. Cody doesn't have a candy bar either. <laughs> well, did you hear what happened with those candy bars when they did that to Reggie Bar? They had to no. hold up play to get all the all the candy bars off the field. Oh, yeah. They passed them out before the game, and they ended up on the field. And they said, "Wait a minute!" And they had to postpone or at least uh, take time to remove all the Reggie bars from the field. But it was a great, it was a great bar. It was a mixture between caramel and, and nuts and an around patty type. And it was good. I enjoyed it. Your question. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. Phil Garner played in nine games for the A's in 73, played in 30 games in 74, but yet it doesn't list him as a world champion for those two years. Why is that? because he was not on the roster. I remember asking him about that one time, and uh, they decided against putting him on the roster. So I, I don't know the particulars about it, but I, I know that uh, it was said and has been said that he won a couple world championships or a world championship. Uh, but, uh, you know, he took over when Dick Green, because he played a lot in 75, and he stayed here and then ended up going to the Pirates from, uh, from Oakland. And, he, and Chuck Tanner managed him here in Oakland, uh, remember the trade of uh, Manny Sanguin for Chuck Tanner, the catcher for the for the manager? <laughs> and then Chuck ended up back in Pittsburgh where Phil won the world championship in 79 or was part of that uh, We Are Family, Sister Sledge, you know. So, But, no, he, he was not on the roster. And I, I saw, you know, certain things happen. And um, But I remember he was on the team, but he told me he wasn't on the roster. And I can't remember exactly why he was not on the postseason roster. Uh, but 
you know, Charlie, I guess Charlie decided against it because we know Charlie ran the club, or at least uh, uh, people assumed he did. Uh, but, you know, that's another story. Yeah, well, you know, there and, 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 you know, baseball in recent years, all you have to do is play on the team during the yeah. season and you get listed at, as a World Series champion. Well, exactly, and you get the ring and the whole thing. And usually, those uh, those players who do participate get the ring and the whole thing. But if you know, there's a 25 man roster for postseason, like at least then. Now it's uh, it, it's larger than that. But uh, you know, you're, you're listed that way. But bottom line, if you're not on the roster, technically, you're not one of the 25 that participated. And I think that's what Phil was referencing, especially in '74. He just came up for the minimal amount of time in '73. And in 74 played more, but uh, since he wasn't on the roster, I think that's where the designation changes where you have basically the 25 players, manager, coaching staff, and that's it as far as that particular team. And uh, yeah, you're, you're right. Cause I've looked it up and, and those players that I know uh, a lot of players, some of whom who were on the team that I didn't remember being on the team. They was just, come in and leave and, and and things like that would happen but uh in phil's particular case that i think and, and maybe we can ask him what happened uh when we have him on the air so you the ask Mar- him. you ask him <laughs> no i'm not asking him. all right the marlins <laughs> they have the moniker of the uh miami bottom feeders which is absolutely great uh yeah. so they went through some of the great and they did say the number one moniker of all time the 1979 We Are Family Sister yep. Sledge Pittsburgh Pirates, where they said led by the Hall of Famer Willie Stargell, who would hit the big home run in Game 7 of the World Series against the Orioles. They rate that as number one all time. And I'm not surprised. I'm not, I, I, was, I was getting ready, actually, with the Venezuela that winter uh, in 1979, and um, I think moving some furniture in our house and then jumped on a plane and went down to Venezuela to play winter baseball right after they won the world championship in 79. But I'll never forget that. And, and you know, that's, you talk about a family, they were a family and you think of Willie Stargell, big pops and, and Dave Parker, uh, Garner, of course, on that. And, and, you know, just so many great players played on that team. And, uh, uh, I think it was Steve Blast, didn't he pitch a complete game in Game Seven? I think he, I think he said he had a complete game victory in Game Seven against the Orioles. Cody may can look that up because um, I, I remember interviewing him, and I think he said he had a complete game victory uh, against the Orioles in that. But no, it was it was great, and and you know they would play that song just like the A's play Celebration, and you know something like that is it's always going to be around. You're you're not going to change something like that. Calling Houston. We're calling Phil. Speaking. Phil, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend and Ray Fossey. (laughs) I'm good. You guys all right? Hey, Squarefire, how you doing, buddy? I'm all right. Surviving all this this nonsense. (laughs) Well, you know what? The, The one thing I look forward to when the club goes to Houston is seeing you in the manager's office and visiting with you. Now, I, my, my first question to you right off the top, you know, you're, you're a great Astros manager. You're great friends with Bob Melvin. Who are you pulling for in this series? 
<laughs> well, I'm hoping Bob uh, manages well. I got to pull for the Astros. I got to do I that, do. but I'm looking for Bob. So maybe it'll end in a tie. I don't know how it's going to work. But... <laughs> I, I listen. That was a loaded question. You have to do that. But you know, uh, I, I, I do have to ask you. Tell us about your friendship with the skipper Bob Melvin. How far it goes back, and, and how it all started, and obviously it's continued whenever. The A's are in Houston, and I'm sure other places you see him. But how did that start? Well, yes, we go back playing days when uh, both played San Francisco, and 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 I got traded to San Francisco my last year. So that's when I got to know uh, Bob beyond just saying hello, you know, across the field on, on occasions. And actually, that's we played with Dusty Baker that my last year too. So Bob. Dusty very well, and Bob and I became close close friends. So there's kind of a, a connection between all three of us in that regard. But um, and then I got even closer to to Bob when uh, brought him in to help out with some scouting in Milwaukee after I'd been with scouting. And actually, Sal Bando suggested that. I didn't know Bob was looking to do that at the time, and I said when I heard it, it was oh yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And then, of course, Bob was. Um, he did a great job scouting, and then we wanted to bring him onto the field, in which Sal was very agreeable to that. So that's how that's how it all came about. Where uh, Bob Bob was my kind of like my right hand guy for five years, and and then he went on to manage and left me to go manage, and uh, and he's done very well since then, obviously. Well, you mentioned Sal, of course, the captain, Sal's general manager with the Brewers at that time. You were with him in Oakland before the free agency and Charlie basically said, I'm not giving long-term contracts, but, but what was it like for you to be a part of the Oakland A's team? And especially guys like Sal Bando and Gene Tennis, Joe Rudy, Reggie, and all those guys that you jumped in and were a great part of that, uh, those teams. Well, I don't, I don't know that I would say I was a great part of them. I came in after, you know, basically those guys were, were doing a lot of winning before I ever got there. So I was, privilege to come in and uh, Ray Fossey's being quiet over there because you know they picked on me a lot but they didn't pick <laughs> on me nearly as bad as they picked on Herbie Washington but that's right was, you know the razzing the razzing that you, you took in those days as number one as a rookie or number two as an outsider if you were perceived that was uh, was pretty tough but it was all good natured it was all in good fun and you had to you had to if you didn't have a sense of humor you need to figure out where to get one pretty quickly or otherwise they were going to have you crying. They, they were the best at uh, what they used to call riding you in those days. They were the best. So it, uh, it was enjoyable times. I, I never felt like I was not part of the group. I mean, I always felt like even though they had had successful world series before I got there, I, I always felt like I was a part of the group. So I, even though, um, uh, they beat up on me pretty hard at times. I still felt part of the group. Well, for people to understand, nowadays they have at least two, maybe three, four buses. Back then it was one bus. We were all on the same bus. <laughs> and, that, and, that's, yeah. and that's where the variety came up. But you know the one thing about Herb Washington, I, I think of his baseball card, and he's got a bat on his hand. And, we, and there was a reunion. I said, Herbie, <laughs> why did you have a bat in your hand? You'd, he never hit one time. I mean, he was he was a sprinter, a hurdler, and but no, you're right. He took the ribbing, and oh by the way, he went on to he's had a very successful uh, post baseball career. But Phil, what one of the things that 
you you played for Chuck Tanner a couple of times. Correct me if I'm wrong. In '76 and then back in '79. Yes. Talk about '76 yes, when you no, that's with, right. Yeah, because he was traded uh, for Manny Sanguin, and and I think that's he opened. Right. But talk yeah. about. Talk talk about that team because I, I think I looked it up. You had thirty five stolen bases, and you guys as a team in Oakland in nineteen seventy six stole well over three hundred bases. What was that like with man with a manager of of a running team, and how much that helped you when you became a manager to do maybe some of the similar things? Well, it, it kind of changed the paradigm in in those days. You know, everybody. Earl Weaver was a great manager at the time, and his famous line was, you know, uh, I'll take the three-run homer anytime. Yeah. Well, every manager will take the three-run homer. Sparky Anderson was managing Detroit in those days, and he had four or five guys that hit over uh, – four guys maybe hit over 20 home runs one year. Um, we, Everybody, any manager, if you had your choices, would take the three-run homer or a bunch of guys that could hit the three-run homer at any time. But then sometimes you got to play with what you're dealt with, and you don't have that luxury of power. And Tanner, Chuck Tanner, when he took over the A's, then he he sort of changed that that line of thinking and started running with reckless abandon. Just told he told everybody, he told Sal, uh, he told me, he told everybody, you feel a lot of bases. We're going to be aggressive starting in spring training. I want you out taking big leads you're going to go steal bases and if you get thrown out it's on me i want you to be bold and go do it and you know we uh matt alexander made the team that year and he was a um a minor league player that had great speed but you know wasn't going to be considered a, a really a major league player but chuck brought him on and he ended up you know stealing a lot of bases that year and kind of fit into the the game plan, which Chuck's game plan was, we're going to take it to everybody else. We may not have the power some teams have, but we're going to we're going to put pressure on you every chance we can. We're going to make your defense uncomfortable. And I, so you and part of the question you ask, how did that affect me? Well, I the, when I got the managerial job in Milwaukee, we had zero power, and hmm. so we had to steal bases. And at one point in time, I stole uh, uh, with a five-run lead, which was uh, very much against the, the rules of, of the book in baseball, you know, against Sparky Anderson. It prompted one of their coaches to come out and say that our uh, in Detroit that our running game bordered on the ridiculous, to which we replied, look, Detroit is in scoring position when they get on first, uh, when they walk to the plate. We in, in Milwaukee, we we had you know, set second and third to get in scoring position. So <laughs> we didn't we didn't have a lot of power. So we had to play our game, and they had to play their game. And so it it affected me a great deal. I learned from Chuck to be bold, go ahead and challenge the the uh, uh, the status quo, if you will. And, you know, Sparky, God bless him, was the dean of the managers at the time, and he was horribly offended that I stole with a five run lead. And yeah. I had to tell him the next day, I say, look, Sparky, God bless you. I, I would never want to embarrass you, but I'm not going to go home after this over knowing that you can have two at bats and, and tie me up and I can't score. It's like you can. So yeah. I got to do what I got to do uh, to be comfortable. And so it, it, it worked out, but, uh, but Chuck influenced me that way in that particular year when he came in with the Oakland A's and we became the running team. 
instead of the swinging A's they were called prior to that, we were called the running A's after that. <laughs> well, you know, the, the thing is, you have a third base coach who gives a sign, and you also have base runners who have the green light to go and run whenever they feel they can get a jump. What did you guys do, especially in that 76 season, to steal that many bases? And like you said, everybody was running. Was it green light? Was it the stolen base? How, how was the sign given? Well, Chuck, Chuck was very astute. And number one, in what you find out, if, you, if you're going to steal bases, you have to be bold. You can't be afraid of getting thrown out. If you're too tentative, yeah. you're never going to get the jump that you need to jump to steal, particularly at the major league level. So, so Chuck took that little part of the equation away when he said, look, it's on me. I want you to get a jump. Just be aggressive, get a jump. If you get thrown out, if you get picked off, it's on me. It's okay. And he did. He took he took that load all year long. If we got thrown out, if we got and you know, the old adage was don't steal third base. Uh, yeah. because you're in scoring position at second base. But we stole third base a lot. And Chuck if you got thrown out, Chuck said, It's on me. Now we'll on it if you need if you get thrown out every time, maybe we need to consider that. But uh, the first part of the equation is being Feeling like you're you're gonna steal the base, you cannot have any second thoughts in your mind. So Chuck took that away. The other part about it is is you've got to be able to pick your spots and, and when you're comfortable. So Chuck let that happen, giving us I think just about everybody a green light, and then he put a, a a stop sign on if he didn't want you to run. So you know that was out there too. But by giving you a green light, it wasn't like you had to go on that particular pitch. You could get yourself comfortable when you got comfortable takeoff. So it allowed the player to kind of get into the game. So as a player, you kind of generally know when a pitcher's going to throw an off-speed pitch or a breaking ball. You kind of, if you don't know, you get the feeling. And most guys that are going to steal bases would rather steal when a guy's going to throw a breaking ball or something off-speed. So um, it allowed players to think for themselves, and I think most players are better when they do that. So that too. So. It all it all played out very well, and um, we ended up getting the playoffs. Yeah. The great Phil Garner is uh, joining us, that great uh, voice, Scrap Iron, the nickname down in Houston. And, Phil, one of the things about you I think is special, that you had a chance to play on a world championship team. This, this month of October, there's no doubt, month of October is the most special month in all of baseball. And you had a chance to play for a team that won a world championship, and you managed the team in a World Series, the Houston Astros in 2005. Tell us what it's like to be a player and the pressures you go through as a player and the pressures you go through as a manager because, like I said, you had an opportunity to do both. Well, and, and there's different. There, there's a different uh, approaches to the game. As a player, you're basically you know, consumed about yourself, your own position. So if you're second base, you're – you're constantly going through the lineup thinking, okay, am I in the right position here? We're going to pitch this guy's way. If it's a left-handed pitcher with a sinker ball, I may play a different way than I do against with a left-handed pitcher that's a, he's a rising fastball. Or, or, and the same thing can be true with right-handers. So you're really concerned about your area of the game, how you're going to do offensively or defensively. So you're focused on that. And there's a great deal of pressure you can put on yourself, but I would bet that that – what I felt the majority of players feel, uh, and that is once the game starts, a lot of that anxiety goes away. Most of it goes away. Players have been performing their whole life, a lot of them in, in 
tough situations. And so when you get into those, most players really enjoy playing in those situations. And so what I found was is, boy, if you, you know, you walk out on the field and you realize 80 million people are watching and if you mess up, it's really going to be a mistake <laughs> that everybody's going to remember. And, uh, but on the flip side is you can, if you learn to channel all of that energy, which is created by the anxiety, then you realize you're actually a little bit stronger. You throw the ball a little harder, swing the bat a little faster, and you run a little quicker than yeah. than you could on a normal day. And it, it's just a fact that when you start these, every one of these little series, whether it's a you know the championship series or whether it's the um, wild card series or even the World Series, every one of them from from the first playoff series on up as it ratchets up just a little bit. And so as a player, you're so keyed up that you don't get fatigued. And I'm not laugh at some of these people talking about guys being tired. That's such baloney. You're running on, Thank you're you. running on. Oh yeah. And, and if a guy's <laughs> tired, if he tells me he's tired when you get to the world series, I'm going to tell you, son, you're in the wrong line of work. You need That's to go right. to play. If you can't get up, if you can't get up for the world series, there's something wrong with you. So, yeah, you, you, you know when you go home when the series is over, you crash for three or four days because right. you, you are you are tired. But if your adrenaline's running the way it should be, you're not physically tired. You're yeah. you're and emotionally you're into these games. And I would say that as a player, it is great great fun once you learn how to channel the anxieties and use it for your benefit. And I'd learned to do that, and I thought it was great fun in those situations. Now, as a teacher, those things <laughs> are a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, Phil, you you know, Phil along, those, along that line, Phil, I want to ask you, because unfortunately uh, this age cast is going to end, but I want to ask you about the 79, the We Are Family, that group of guys that you had that, man, it, it, it was just a tremendous team. What was that like playing on that team? And, and hearing Sister Sledge and we are family, being a family, winning the way you guys did. Well, and I'll tip my hat to Chuck Tanner for that, too. It was a wild yep. and, and a crazy bunch, very much like the Oakland A's in their heyday. And Chuck Tanner knew how to handle them. He never came down with a hard hand, heavy hand. He used uh, kid gloves. He let uh, generally let these players become men, treated them as men and said, Go play and let let them play for the most part. Uh, very few very few times did Chuck ever get angry, and when he did get angry and and show that, every player knew that we deserved the the chewing out got or the discipline that Chuck needed to put out there. So, but but we had great players, we had great leadership. So Chuck didn't have to do that much. He kind of just sort of guided along with a soft touch. But when you had yeah. Willie Stargell and Dave Parker, Willie Stargell was everybody's <laughs> favorite captain, and Dave Parker was everybody's MVP, you know, for a few years there that was one sure. of the best ball players in baseball. So everybody ended up behind those guys. We had a good pitching staff anchored by John Candelaria and on the front end and Kent Tocovia on the back end. We had a solid yeah. defense that could, could catch the ball. Oh, and, and Tim Foley at shortstop, who was fearless, you know, he, you know, he he just dared you to cut him up at second base. He didn't nothing, none of that bothered him. So we had we had all the ingredients, and Chuck Tanner kind of mixed them up and threw them out there and let us play. So and and the results turned out to be pretty doggone good. Well, and they had a scrap iron guy at second base. Now I'm going to quickly ask you in about 60 seconds 
explain what it was like managing the Houston Astros when Albert Pujols hit the three-run home run in the well, league I, championship. <laughs> you can ask me a lot of questions. It won't take 60 seconds to answer that. It, it took the air out of our balloon, that's for sure. But i got to tell you the, the, the better part of the story. So the next yeah. day, we got to go to St. Louis to conclude the series. We couldn't finish it at home. We had to go there. Right. We get on the airplane the next day, and most of the time, when you get these 27 and 28 year old kids on the airplane at 11 o'clock in the morning, there's a lot of racket going on. People are playing backgammon cards, playing funny games, poking each other. There's a lot of racket. Well, we get on that plane that morning, it was dead silent. We're flying to St. Louis. Wow. And there, I mean, I'm up there on my front thinking, okay, boys, I could give a Newt Rockney speech here. What am I going to do? And, and all of a sudden, there's a voice comes over the microphone and said, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Now, we're going to be flying at 30,000 feet to St. Louis today. And, oh, by the way, if you'll take a look at the left side of the plane, that object you see over there is where the pull hose hit last night. <laughs> and the whole plane was nuts. And it turned out to be Brad Ausmus that got on the microphone and, and did that. And when that happened, I kind of knew that it, it was uh, – St. Louis is going to be in for a tough night, and and we ended up winning. And so yeah. I'm going to tip my hat to Brad Ausmus. I think one broke the ice, and and was the real reason for that inspiration. Well, Phil, I can only say thank you for spending time with us because, like I said, you were a great second baseman, scrap iron, and uh, you know we we enjoyed teasing a little bit, but you handled it quite well. And to go on and have the career you had as a player. <laughs> And as a manager, uh, and I, like I said, I miss seeing you down in Houston, but uh, you take care of yourself. And, and I, I knew the first question, you're going to root for the Astros because you're there. And the uh, not surprised to hear that. The best to you, Carol, and uh, we'll hopefully see you soon. Okay, good deal, guys. Stay safe. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate it. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.